Hey there, John Morris here, johnmorrisonline.com. Welcome back to another episode of The John Morris Show. This one, we're going to get into this idea of, it's a concept I call overt transparency. So we're going to talk about what that is. I'm going to give you an example, some examples from my own life when I was really, really heavily into sales and, and how I used it there, and then how we can transfer that to our freelance work and interacting with potential clients and get them to like us in a way that builds a foundation for trust because a client will not hire you, a customer will not buy from you until they get to the point of trusting you enough to be able to do that. And so we're going to talk about, again, how to use overt transparency to do that. It's a very powerful principle that you can use in your interactions. Now, before I get into that, uh, a couple things. So first off, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who sort of stuck with me as I was going through my WordPress course launch. Those of you who've been around for a while sort of know how it goes, but if you're new, this may have been your first time doing that. But you know, I, I launch courses on a regular basis, and when I do, I tend to sort of focus my content around those courses. Obviously, I make some blatant sales pitches and that sort of thing. And so it was a really successful launch, a lot of new students in. I, I'm confident they'll, they'll learn a ton from the, uh, that course. And so, again, just a big thank you sticking through all of that. Also, this month, I'm trying to do a new course each month. And so this month, uh, I've decided that that's going to be what I, what I would call Module 3 of my Upwork 101 course. So if you've seen my Upwork 101 course at all, upwork101.com if you're interested. But that teaches you how to build your Upwork profile. I've always sort of envisioned this as a multiple module course, and I would consider that to be Module 2. So now what I want to do is move on and make Module 3 which is how to bid and win on jobs. So we're going to talk about things like how to find the best jobs, you know, how breaking down project descriptions, writing your project proposals. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is in your back and forth messaging with potential clients, how to build rapport and how to push them over the edge in those conversations to get them to hire you. And I think there's a ton we can learn from, you know, the experience I had as a car salesperson because most of the sales that you do in that scenario isn't a, oh, I'm giving a presentation or I'm giving a pitch. It's a back and forth conversation, very similar to the same kinds of things that you're going to be doing in those back and forth with clients. So uh, I really want to dig into this. And again, this idea of overt transparency and how to use that to get people to like you enough to where they, they start trusting you. Of course, before I get into all that, I do want to encourage you to head on over to store.johnmorrisonline.com. And check out all the coding training there. Also help support the show. You know, my my Upwork uh, 101 course, my new WordPress course, my PHP 101, object-oriented programming course, login script, uh, PHP forms. All that is over there if you're if you're needing some coding training. Again, store.johnmorrisonline.com. You can use the coupon code JMO at checkout for 20% off anything in the store. I'd appreciate that. All right, so with that out of the way, let's go ahead and 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 dive into this. So again, this this comes from my experience selling cars, and my experience selling cars was is kind of funny because my my sales I was I sold a lot of cars, and I I was a pretty good car salesman. While at the same time, my sales manager hated my guts. He really he really did. I remember one time he told me, and he meant it in a very derogatory way. He he wished with every fiber of his being that he could fire me. But I remember him telling me one time, 
uh, he, he said, I don't know what it is. And he really emphasized, like, I don't get it. Like, I have no idea why, but people just seem to like you. And so, and, and this was in a conversation where I had done something that, that he didn't like. And he was basically like, I really want to fire you. But he's like, I don't know why people just like you and buy cars from you. So I had a really interesting sort of <laughs> experience as a car salesperson, doing a really good job yet being hated by my sales manager. And one of the reasons, well, the big reason why why he hated me is because I essentially broke every rule that they had. So when you go to work at these places, they they sort of assume that you don't know how to sell and they put you through all of these different training programs and teach you all of these things. And early on, your manager's kind of standing there over your shoulder a little bit and is uh, watching you and everything you say. Then you'll go back and he'll critique you and say, you should be doing this and doing that. And I consistently sort of refused to do the things that they were asking me to do. I had, because I had actually done sales before, I'd been really good at it. So I, I had some understanding of what I was doing. And I abhorred, I couldn't stand all of the little tricks and gimmicks and so forth that they, they would use on people. If, for those of you who've never done it, car sales people in particular, I've done several different kinds of sales and they all have sort of their little things. But car sales and salespeople in particularly rely really, really heavily on what I would call sales gimmicks. And it's just, sort of these little things that they do that you don't really notice to get you to to think in certain ways. So for example, one of the things that that was really big when when someone would come in and want to look at a car is they wanted to get you focused on payments versus the overall price of the car. So when we would sit down and talk to someone, we had the sheet that we had to fill out. And what we would do and as a part of that, we had, we never asked people what they wanted to pay for the total price of the car. We always asked what kind of payments they want to make. So what what sort of payment are you looking to make? And I would get people who'd be like, well, I don't really care about the payment. I'm, I'm worried about the overall price of the car. And I mean, I would have to be like, look, dude, like I got to fill out the sheet. If you want to go for a, a freaking test drive, we got to fill out the sheet. So you got to give me something in terms of payments. Otherwise, we can't really do anything because it was a rule in our dealership. If you didn't have the sheet filled out, you didn't get keys to go on a test drive. That's just the way it was. So anyway, that was one of the things that they would do. Now, why would they do that? Well, I remember uh, one of the used car guys telling me the the story, and you know, you know, he could be talking on smack, but I actually, he was a really good salesman. I believed him, and he said that one time he actually got a couple to buy a car for a thousand dollars over the sticker price. Now, if you guys know anything about buying cars, you know most people come in, they see the sticker price, and then they want to talk you down down from that. He actually sold them for $1,000 more than the sticker price. Had to get like special approval from the lending, the bank that was doing it and so forth to be able to do that. And the way he did it was by them fo- by focusing them on payments. So he got their payment range that they you know sort of wanted to play. And then he, he paired them with a car that was the sticker price was actually a little bit lower so that uh, it, it fit within the, the low end of their payment range and then got the, uh, basically an extra $1,000 added onto that sticker price to bring the payments up. And they were like, oh, well, it's in the payment range, so we're good, not realizing that they're paying an extra $1,000 over the sticker price for the car. And the way commissions work for salespeople 
is you get a commission. Every dealership has a, a sticker price and sort of a stock price. So the sticker price is what's on the window, the suggested retail. The stock price is essentially what the dealership paid for the car. So that room in there is where the profit is made. As a salesperson, that's where you make your commission. So, and at that dealership, you know, we made, it might've been different for other people, but I made 25% commission. So if I sold someone a car for an extra thousand dollars on the, uh, over the sticker price, that's an extra $250 I was making in commission on top of probably already $3,000 in profit. So uh, that was why we got them to do that. And, and he was able to do that just by getting them to focus on payments. Now, one of the reasons why I absolutely hated all of that stuff is because that stuff always comes back to bite you. So that couple ended up figuring out what happened and they became very vocal about that dealership and how it was screwing people over. And I think pretty sure they were even on the local news and that dealership had a really bad reputation for screwing people over. And that was one of the reasons why. So again, when I worked there, I just flat out refused to do a lot of this stuff. Another thing that they had you do was when someone told you what their payments were. So let's say you'd say, what, what kind of payments you're looking to make? And they might say, Oh, you know, 200 bucks a month in payment. You'd immediately respond with up to, and it comes across as a reasonable question because you're kind of sort of, most people think in ranges when it comes to this kind of thing. So you sort of, it feels like you're asking them the range. Of course, you're not saying down to, right? You're saying up to. And, you know, most people would respond, well, you know, two to 250, whatever, somewhere in there. Not realizing that for every $50 you increase the payment, you increase the overall price of the car by $1,000 which is an extra $1,000 the dealership makes. It's extra $250 in commission that I make. So that little two-word phrase was really, really important. So anyway, there's all sorts of this stuff that when you're selling cars is is there. I just sort of flat out refuse to do it. So one of the things that would happen is people would come in and you know, they would, they would want to test drive a car. Most people come into a dealership and they just want to test drive a car. Like I said, we had the sheet we had to fill out. So I, people would come in and I'd sit them down and say, we'd have to fill out the sheet and they'd sort of be like, Hey, I want to go test drive the car before I start talking numbers. That was sort of what people wanted to do. And I would just tell them, look, dude, I have to fill out the sheet. I, my manager will not give me keys until I fill out this sheet. So if you want to go test drive a car, I got to fill out this sheet. Now, I wasn't supposed to tell them that all of that, but I always did. And there were two reasons why. One, it actually worked to get them to fill out the sheet. So in this actual sales sort of process, it, it worked uh, to get, get what I needed from them. But second, it sort of was like letting them in on the process. And so I was sort of being transparent about the sales process. But I was doing it in a way where they could see I was being transparent. A lot, oftentimes, the way people reacted was sort of like, oh, it's sort of like, oh, now we're on the same team against the evil manager and dealership, that sort of reaction. So it was a a really uh, simple way to start building this, to start using this idea of overt transparency. Another thing that I would do is when we would go on the test drive, you know, I was always concerned with, I knew that people were car driven, that ultimately what they wanted was the car. And that was the thing that was, that was like the carrot that was driving them. 
And if the the payments and the 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 price and stuff were reasonable, they really wanted the car and they were gonna they were gonna buy it. And so all I really had to do was sort of get out of the way of all of it more than anything. And so we'd go test drive cars, and if we were test driving a car and I could tell that they liked the car, when we got back to the dealership and we stopped before we went inside, I'd say, oh, hold on a second, you know, before we go inside, what did you think? Like, do you like the car? And again, I had established some rapport up to this point about being transparent with them and and letting them sort of in on the sales process. So a lot, oftentimes their guard was really down. They didn't necessarily feel like they were being sold. And so it's like, do you like the car? And, you know, they'd either say, most of the time they'd say, yeah, I really like this car. It just comes down to whether or not, you know, the the payments and so forth are going to fit. And so what I would tell people is I would say, and I was not supposed to do this at all. This is sort of like cardinal sin number one when it comes to selling cars. But I would tell people, okay, look, the sticker price of this car is, let's say, $27,000. I'm going to tell you, I'm not supposed to tell you this, by the way. Like, I'm, if you tell them that I told you this, I'll get in big trouble. That right there is overt transparency. I'm about to be transparent but I'm telling them that I'm about to be transparent in order to get them to like me and trust me. So I would say I'll get in trouble, and I would, by the way. None of this is not true. This is all 100% true, but I would say I'll get in trouble if if you tell them that I told you this. But the stock price of this car is $24,000. So that's our area to work. I know you want to get a deal off of the $27,000, but if I sell you the car for $24,000, the dealership makes no money. I make no commission. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sell you the car for you know, $24,000. So we got to meet somewhere in the middle. And it's going to come down to what my manager is willing to do ultimately. Because it did. The manager just sort of drove that whole thing. And that had, that had doing that had, uh, there were a couple effects of that. First off, most people responded by to that by going, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you got to make your money. You got kids to feed and all this sort of thing." They were reasonable. They were like, "Yeah, that makes sense. So we'll go figure it out." And the other thing it did is it pretty much guaranteed that at that point I was going to get the sale because a lot of times deals would fall apart in that negotiating process because people didn't like the not knowing. They felt like they were in sort of this game. And the, I would always have to go back and forth with the manager and so forth. And it was such a pain in the butt. I just wanted to tell people, you know. And so, again, it just sort of locked in the sale. They went into that process comfortable, knowing about where things were at, knowing where I was at, sort of knowing what they were getting into. And also, again, trusting me because I was telling them things that I wasn't supposed to be telling them. And it, I mean, it almost every time guaranteed the sale. Really, the only times that I ever had people when I did that who didn't end up buying the cars, my manager was being a D-bag and, and sort of messed up the sale. So again, this idea of overt transparency and being transparent with people, but being transparent in a way where you tell them you're being transparent, where they see it, and that is what gets them to like you. Because people like transparency and they like people who are transparent. So how do you apply this to your freelancing and working with Upwork and so forth? Well, again, one sort of, this is sort of a general example that that, that I remember from 
doing a lot of work on Upwork is oftentimes, you've probably seen this, what will happen is you will have a client who will submit a project on, say, Upwork. And you'll look at the project and you're like, okay, this is a this is a $3,000 project, for, let's say. But their budget is maybe $500 to $1,000. Like the budget doesn't match the scope of the project in any way, shape, or form. And it's sort of a conundrum. And a lot of times what you can do is you just say, well, I'm not going to bid on that. Somebody else can have that. But what I used to like to do is I used to like to go in and submit my bid, but along with my bid, just sort of tell them and use this idea of overt transparency and say, look, I've looked through your project and I'll be, I'm going to be honest and just be the one to tell you. Cause I know probably a lot of these other freelancers aren't going to tell you this because they want to get the job, but I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest and tell you, this is probably a $3,000 job just looking at it. And you can go and hire someone for 500 to $1,000, but you're going to get 500 to $1,000 worth of work for a project that's really a $3,000 project. And my hunch is what's going to happen is the developer that you're working with is either going to work to slowly increase that budget to what it should be anyway, or they're going to flake out or they're not going to deliver everything or it's just going to turn into a nightmare for you. You're going to have to come back, hire somebody else, go through this whole process again, and you're going to probably ultimately end up spending more money and wasting a hell of a lot more time than you would if you just paid the right price for it. And so what I'll do is, you know, again, it's a it's a $3,000 project. That's what I would charge normally. But because it seems like you have maybe a little bit lower budget, I will do the project for 2000 But your budget range of 500 to 1000 just does not match the scope of the project. And oftentimes, very, very often, I would have the those people respond to me and say, oh, well, I just didn't know. A lot of times clients just don't know. And so they'd say, oh, I don't know. And very often they would not only hire me, but hire me and say, look, if it's a $3,000 project, it's a $3,000 project. I will hire you at that price. Now, I, there often there were definitely plenty of people who'd still hire me at the $2,000 because they, they'll take the deal. But you'd be surprised how many people will actually hire you at that that the price that you said it is worth because they they want to make sure they're getting quality work. They want to make sure the person developing their thing or, or building whatever it is that, that you're doing for them feels satisfied and content and wants to do a good job because they want good work back. And so, again, this idea of overt transparency and telling them, you know, being transparent with them, but telling them that you're being transparent with you. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Look, you know, this is oftentimes if you start a statement with look, you're getting into overt transparency. You're telling them something that is maybe difficult or that other people won't want to want to say or whatever. And, and and you're sort of letting them in on the behind the scenes or, or a secret or, or some hard truth or whatever. But you're making sure that you're telling them that you're doing that so that they see you being transparent. That's sort of the key. So again, with your interaction with clients, look for different things where you can be transparent about the tr- the reality of a situation or about what you're thinking in your head or or what's going on, the context of, say, maybe Upwork and all the different people bidding on it and so forth. You can be transparent about something, 
but be transparent in a way where you show them and put it in their face that you're being transparent. That will get people to like you and ultimately trust you because most often people don't that are trying to to sell somebody something because you're ultimately selling your services when you're doing this won't do that won't won't be honest with them won't tell them hard truths they'll try to tell them everything that they want to hear tell them things they don't want to hear but make sure you're telling them that you're telling them <laughs> things that they don't want to hear because you want to be honest because you want to be transparent and that that is what will trigger that sort of liking that respect and get to the point of them them trusting you. So that's just one thing that you can do, one very specific thing you can do when it comes to building rapport. That is is one of the ways that you can can actually generate specifically that rapport between you and somebody else. So I've used it a ton both in when I did sales before with cars and shoes and all the different things I did before, but uh, quite a bit when uh, freelancing as well. It's something that can be very, very effective and it helps set you apart because so many other freelancers simply will not do it. All right, so that'll do it for this episode. Now, one of the things that I want to mention here is, as I said, I'm going to be doing uh, releasing module three of my Upwork 101 course. If you haven't taken module two, though, which shows you how to build your profile, I want to recommend that you do that. That If you go to Upwork101.com, you can learn more about the course. But one of the big things it's about is, especially if you're new to Upwork, it can be sort of eye-opening because a lot of times what the conundrum, the dilemma that people who get started on Upwork are faced with is, I'm new to this platform I don't have a big job history. I don't have a high job success score. I don't have any of these things that Upwork uses to to rank you in their in their searches and to show off to clients how good of a developer you are. You don't have any of these things. And so you have to sort of generate them from scratch and it can be, well, how do I how do I get around this? It's sort of a catch 22. One of the things that you can do that not a lot of people know about is this idea of relevance because it's not just rank that matters on Upwork. It's also relevance. So Upwork's sort of stated mission is to match match clients with the best freelancer for their job. And that for their job is the relevance aspect of this. And so when you're new and you don't have the rank, to show that you're one of the best freelancers, the way you can get around that is through relevance and being more relevant to the job that someone has or the the project they've created or the, that they're searching for a freelancer for and so forth. It'll allow you to rank higher in searches, but also people have this natural sort of uh, believability when it comes to people who position themselves as specialists. And so you can use these things to your advantage when you're new over on Upwork. And I show you how to build your profile based on all of this in that Upwork 101 course. So again, if you want to get going on Upwork, you want to, uh, if you're new over there and you want to be able to get going right off the bat and start getting work and so forth, I highly recommend taking a look at that and building your profile in the way that I, I show you there. Uh, so that that you can get going with all that. So again, Upwork101.com, you can learn more about that course. All right, so if you like this episode, I'd appreciate if you'd hit the like button. Also, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so that you can get all the future episodes. Also, all the past episodes 
and all those subscribe links for iTunes, Twitter, TuneIn, or <laughs> iTunes, TuneIn, Android, all that, you can find at johnmorrisshow.com. And finally, if you'll rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, I'd greatly appreciate that. I'll also give you Module 1 of my PHP 101 course for free for doing that. You can get all the details, again, at johnmorrisshow.com. Just click on the Start Here link at the top. All right, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.